tempting for the next 45 minutes if we don't get started, so let's go if we can, find a seat. We are uh, truly honored and blessed to have you here this morning at Delreda. Weather's cooperating wonderfully. It's a beautiful Lord's Day. And uh, we're going to get off to a great start for our friends, family, and youth day. Uh, we've got a number of guests here with us already. I know many more will, will be making their way and be with us in the 10 o'clock hour. We've got a, a very good contingent from Freed Hardeman. Uh, I think some 13 are down from Henderson, Tennessee. And uh, we're glad to have them, and I hope that you will uh, meet them and make them feel welcome. Uh, among our guests today is uh, Brother Milton Sewell, his wife, Laura. Uh, he was the president of Freed Hardeman uh, when I was there all those years ago and did a fantastic job. And I'm going to ask him to lead our opening prayer before we turn it over to our speaker. I'm not going to introduce our speaker at length uh, right now. I'll reserve that for our morning worship hour, but we're honored to have uh, Brother David Shannon and his wife Tracy uh, with us today, and uh, I'll say more about him uh, in the next hour, and you're really going to enjoy hearing the things that Brother David has to say in our lesson this morning. So with, uh, let's have a prayer to begin, and we'll turn over to David. Father, thank you so much for letting us assemble here in the beauty of this room. Thank you for the love and the graciousness that uh, prevails here in this congregation. Father, thank you for the great work that Doug and the elders and the deacons and the members do here at this congregation. I'm especially thinking about Kelby and Martha Smith this morning as I think about the tremendous amount of love and care they did in rearing Doug teaching him right from wrong, teaching him what was important in life. Thank you for the great work. I'm also thankful for the great work of Roy and Clara Shannon and the way that they have trained their son, David. What a blessing uh, that uh, he and his whole family are to your kingdom. And we know that you have been so pleased and, and worked with him and guided him in the kind of things that he's to do. We thank you for the work that goes on at Faulkner and the, the Bible that's taught there. And we thank you for the work at Freed Hardeman and other places. We're especially thankful for David and Tracy and that they've allowed themselves to be used as in your kingdom in this very significant way. And we pray that you will give them a long and useful life. And just thinking about uh, Brother H.A. Dixon, Brother Claude Gardner, and Brother Joe Wiley and I, we all, all are uh, blessed to see somebody of David's caliber stepping up and taking on this enormous and good and wonderful leadership role in your kingdom. Would you bless him as he speaks to us today? And uh, thank you again for the, letting us be Christians and enjoy the benefits of being Christians. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
Good morning. It is good to be in Dalreda congregation. Thank you for uh, inviting us down as uh, our Chancellor Milton Sewell has already mentioned, or Doug, one of, one of you guys mentioned, we have about 12 or <clears throat> 14 of us here from Freight Hardman today, and, and our desire is just to connect with you or to reconnect with you or strengthen relationships. Uh, we just are, are really seeking to go out uh, over this next year and, and just uh, rekindle a lot of relationships. And so uh, after church, uh, today and, and even before the, the youth gathering this afternoon. If you want to arrive a little bit early and visit with us, we'll be here early and we'll be staying a little bit late. And uh, it's for that simple reason. You know, recently I, I sat around a conference table with a committee of, of uh, they, most of them were about 35 and under alumni of Freed Hardeman. When you ask them, what, what's your favorite uh, memory and what you appreciate the most about Freed Hardeman? And they began after three or four to kind of apologize because their answer was just like everybody else's. And they said, um, I just value the relationships that are formed there. And, and they talked about, I still, my, my roommate's my best friend after all these years still. Uh, I married uh, my wife or my husband. Uh, I met them at, at Freed Hardeman and uh, still stay in touch with several of the faculty. Uh, we know that Christian education offers a lot of blessings. And one of the great blessings that it offers is that of relationships. And in a sense, that's why we're here today is our relationship with God. Uh, we look forward to the time of study. And if you will be turning to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, we'll be looking at several passages there. So we're thankful for the fact that God would adopt us. We're thankful that when we're adopted, we come into the family with brothers and sisters. And so it's good to be uh, with, with brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. And it's good uh, for those of us that usually are not uh, in the Montgomery area. It's good for us to catch up uh, with some of you that, that we haven't seen in a while. Look forward to making new friends. Wisdom. It's not really that easy and that simple to live a life of wisdom. I love the story about the little boy that every day he would go into the barber shop, And the same thing would occur every day. So on one particular day, he was making his way toward the barber shop and the barber laughed and he said, hey guys, you got to watch this. The dumbest kid in town, watch, just watch what happens. So the kid comes in and immediately barber turns back to his cash drawer and, and, and he looks down at the little boy and he says, hey son, which one you want? You can only have one hand, which one you want? And one had, had two quarters in it and one hand had a dollar bill in it. And so the little boy reached over and he grabbed the two quarters. He said, thank you, sir. And he turned around and walked out the door. And the barber just belly laughed again. Look at that. Dumbest boy in town. Guys, I'm telling you, he does that every day. Who would turn down a dollar to take two quarters? Well, one of the men that was getting his hair cut, uh, after he finished, he was walking back toward town. He saw the little boy licking on his ice cream cone, sitting on the steps there. And so curiosity got him and he said, hey, son, uh, he said, you buy that ice cream with your two quarters? He said, yes, sir. He said, son, I just can't help but ask you, why? Why do you come in every day and you choose the two quarters over a dollar? He took another lick and he said, sir, the day I take the dollar, the game's over. <laughs> Wisdom is not really very common. 
If we really take the world population, there's really not a lot of people that are wise. There may be a lot of people that are intelligent. There may even be some that have some common sense. But there's this category of wisdom that comes from above that's unlike anything else. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. A proverb is a short, pithy thought that conveys wisdom. But there's another aspect of a proverb that you don't hear spoken of as much, but yet when I say it, you'll probably say to yourself, that's so true. A proverb is, just, is not simply a short thought of wisdom. A proverb always provokes additional thoughts of wisdom. A proverb is one of those short sayings that when you first hear it, you kind of chew on it and it takes a little bit of understanding to understand a proverb. But then when you start to understand it, what does it do? It immediately makes you start thinking about ways that it's applied in life. And so today, as, as we're looking so forward to spending the day together, we think about friends and family day closing with the youth gathering. And so I thought, okay, in our first time together this morning, let's spend some time thinking about relationships in general, friends. Now, many of the things we'll talk about would also apply in family just as much, but, but these are broad principles out of Proverbs. And then during our worship hour, we'll, we'll look at a passage of Scripture where God is speaking especially to families. And then tonight, uh, we'll stay within the theme of, of the area-wide gatherings of, of looking at big and important moments in life. And, and the assigned uh, topic tonight is, is a big moment in life out of Acts, the eighth chapter. And so that's where we'll go today. And, and as we think about the book of Proverbs, I want to just give you a little disclaimer, and, and I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm braced for it, okay? I've, I've kind of gotten thick skin uh, with this particular lesson, and so I have to psych myself out, and I have to tell myself it's okay, it's okay. I want to just real quickly tell you about the first time uh, I did a study like this in front of, of the congregation that I'd preached at for, for probably, at the time I preached it, I probably preached there for at least 15 years. And, um, and I was reading in a book uh, one day, and, and just one or two pages in a book written by Tommy Nelson, he just mentioned, he said, the book of Proverbs can, can really tell you uh, why, which way do I need to go here? It, it can really tell you why people don't like you. And, and he just gave a list of several Proverbs and that really got my mind to thinking. I thought, wow, that would be a good sermon for us. You know, when you read that and it applies to you and you think, you know, it would apply to everybody, this, this would be a great sermon to, to, for us to go through and study together. Well, I, I knew that I had about 40 passages. And I thought, well, you know, there's no way to preach 40 passages in Proverbs in one lesson. So what I did was I stood up uh, that, that night and I said to the church family, I said, listen, we're going we're gonna to do a two-part lesson. And we're going to do 20 reasons people don't like you tonight. And we'll do 20 more reasons why people don't like you next week. And, and kind of gave an introduction there. And I, I, probably, got, I probably got into the, the, the first four or five Proverbs. And now, if you're a public speaker, you're going to know exactly what I mean. But if not, you might be a little bit surprised at this. Nonverbal communication is powerful. Like when you're the speaker, it's powerful. And, and you make adjustments in the way you speak. Sometimes you go back and reemphasize something because you know it, 
right over the head. You know, you, you are constantly as a speaker doing or not doing things because of what people are saying. They're just not saying it out loud. It's nonverbal. And so, uh, so I, I get a few points into this sermon. And, and this is a church family I know well. I, I know them like physical family. And I think to myself, whoa, they are not liking this very much. And, um, and so about halfway through, as I'm preaching now, I'm, I'm not making this up. As I'm preaching, about halfway through, I said to myself, I greatly regret doing this sermon. And so we got down to the end and I extended the invitation. And when I was hitting about the second step coming off the stage for the invitation song, I said to myself, we will not preach part two next week. <laughs> By the time I got to the floor, I'd already figured out a plan. It was going to be this simple. I wasn't ever going to mention the lesson again, and I was just going to go into something else and pretend I never said there's part two to this lesson. I had my mind made up. After the invitation song, I went out the back, closing prayer was said. And all these people that had been giving me just the sternest kind of mean look started coming out and saying, wow, number four, number six, number eight, I made notes on them. I really got a lot of things to change at work tomorrow. Wow, I really look forward to next week. Everybody come out. I've really got to work with my family on number eight there. I made a note of number. And then, it, you know, as a, as a preacher, I'm trying to digest this. I'm like, okay. So that kind of mean look was almost like a studied look where you're evaluating yourself. You're looking at the Word of God. And like every one of us will experience this morning, We'll see wisdom from God's Word that really conflicts some of the things we do, and we'll have the opportunity to either say, I don't care to be wise, or we'll have the opportunity to say, you know what? I probably need to do some things differently. You know, you run into people that when you talk with them, they're constantly telling you about problems they have with their family relationships. You know, I just I can't get along with my parents. I can't get along with my kids. I can't get along with my siblings. And then in the next conversation, they'll tell you about how difficult it is in their work environment. My coworkers are the hardest people in the world to get along with. You just wouldn't believe what I deal with with my employer or my employees. And then that very same person in a later breath will tell you how they have a friendship that, that really is in a strained situation right now. And you know, if you know them well enough, what you want to do is say, whoa, whoa, time out. Tell me what the common denominator is to everything you've talked about. Isn't it interesting that every strained relationship you have, you're the common denominator? You know, it very well could be that the reason I have some of my problems in relationships at all these different places is it may be that I'm the one being foolish. And it might be, and there's no might to it, it's a fact that God gives us wisdom if we'll stop and glean from it and apply it into our life. He gives us wisdom of how to live a better life. And so uh, with that in mind, I just want you to know I'm braced for mean looks. Uh, I would ask you don't throw anything, but more importantly, uh, I would hope that we're all willing to say, I haven't arrived in life. I'm not perfect. I'm seeking to be more like God every day. And so if there's some wisdom that I can learn from God's Word today to be better, a better friend, to offer to the other a healthy relationship, I want to learn from that. So why might it be that people don't like you? Number one, it could be because you are a loner. 
Proverbs 18 and 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Notice that last part of that first phrase. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Now, I know that God makes some of us uh, more as introverts and some uh, is just more outgoing and we love to be around everybody. I'm not talking about either of those right now. Uh, What proverb writer is talking about is he's talking about individuals that intentionally isolate themselves from relationships because they figure out something pretty early on in life usually. And that is, the more I engage in relationships with others, the more expectations there are upon me. Let's face it. There's some here that you're not as close to your grown brothers and sisters because you just got tired of going to all the family get-togethers. And you figured out, you know what? If I isolate myself from the family, I don't have to run up to the birthdays. I don't have to go to the Thanksgiving gathering. There's probably some of you that the reason you don't show up at work 15 minutes early is because you don't want the closer relationships. Because the more you integrate yourself into the relationships, the more that's expected of you. You know, when I got to know them, I had to go on Saturday and start helping people move. What I found out is when I go to work and I don't get to know anybody, I don't have to help anybody move. So according to Proverbs, why do people isolate themselves? That first phrase says it. They're selfish. The more I isolate myself, the more I can concentrate on self. The more I invest in others, the more is expected me to invest in others. It could be that people don't like me because I isolate myself. Where'd I go here? Number two, are you a bad listener? Proverbs, the 18th chapter, verse 13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Do you listen to individuals to understand them? Or do you just listen enough to know when they take a breath, you're going to say what you've been wanting to say the whole time anyway? You ever talk to people like that? You know, people where you're trying to work through something and as you're explaining what you perceive it to be, it dawns on you. Okay, they're not listening to the, a word I'm saying. They're just waiting for me to have a pause in what I'm saying and they're about to tell me how they feel about it as if I haven't said a word. When you communicate with people, do they regularly say to you, I just said, fill in the blank. Why are they saying to you, I just said? They're saying because you didn't listen. And usually people that don't listen, they don't even believe they don't listen. They don't realize they have trained themselves to zone out what other people are saying. And so the idea is, when you're in conversation, can you pause and say, I'm not going to think about what I'm going to say next. Right now, I'm simply going to listen to them to try to understand what they're saying and where they're coming from. Listening to understand them and what they're saying. Once we understand, then we can participate in healthy communication. Parents, a lot of us never listen. We're constantly telling our kids, but we don't regularly sit down and listen to our kids. I did mission work for a lot of years down in El Salvador. I I don't mean... All year. I mean, going down regularly. And, and it, 
one day I was speaking to a public school there of, of uh, high schoolers. And, it, you know, it was almost like a curiosity thing. I couldn't, I couldn't help but ask this because I, I wanted to know it. And I really assumed that it was going to be very different in Latin America than it is in North America. And I'm speaking through a translator. And so uh, those children with beautiful dark eyes and beautiful skin and hair, and they're all in their crisp white uniforms with blue pants or blue skirts. And uh, all of them were high schoolers. And, and uh, I said, hey, tell me something. How many of you wish your parents would just stop and listen to what you're trying to say to them? And of course, they're all smiles because they don't understand English. And so then the translator says in Spanish, how many of you wish that your parents would stop and listen to you, what you're trying to say to them? And it was amazing to watch their facial expressions every one of them as if they were a mechanical group. As that was translated in Spanish, the smiles, every one of them disappeared. And at the end of the sentence, every one of them, their hands shot up. Our youth are craving parents that would just pop in the room at night with no agenda except just to listen. What's happening in school right now? What's the biggest thing you're dealing with? What was your biggest disappointment last week? I, I just want to listen. Your co-workers? You may have a co-worker that's dealing with a lot, and they're just waiting for somebody that'll listen. You've got brothers and sisters sitting around you right now, and there's probably more than one this morning that would really benefit if somebody this week would just take the opportunity to listen to them. We seem to be real good at giving out information. But think how foolish it is when we are constantly giving out information to people we don't really know because we've never taken the time to listen to them. Number three, people might not like us because we're quick to give an opinion. Proverbs 12 and 23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims knowledge. What does a fool do? Tells everything he knows. Was a wise person, a prudent person. What do they do? They conceal a lot of things. Do you have several things that you know about friends, about brothers and sisters in Christ? And you have never said it out loud to anybody because you know it's just not best. And you know you'll go to your grave and you will never utter that to anyone. Now, if what I've just said to you seems foreign, I would urge you to think about wisdom. Fools feel like they have to tell everything they know. Wise people understand that there are many things that they see, experience, and hear that they will never repeat because there's no benefit that will come from it. Number four. Number four. Are you argumentative? Notice this one is not in Proverbs. This bear only one, not in Proverbs. We can do this throughout a lot of the Bible, but I want to jump over and give you one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Peace is not simply a passive conclusion to something or to some relationship. Peace is always the direct effort of individuals. Notice Jesus' words. Blessed are the peacemakers. Somewhere, this piece of furniture right here was made. Someone took the opportunity to put an investment of time and energy and resources to make this furniture. You ever heard of a cabinet maker? Have you ever heard of a peacemaker? Peacemakers are individuals that do not demand their right. See people on the road? They won't merge to someone because they demand their right. This is my lane. And right now, you don't have the right of way. And so I'm not merging. I'm not giving it to you. Why why do people do that? Well, there may be many reasons, but one thing we know for sure is they're not a peacemaker. You realize there would be no road rage if everybody was a peacemaker. You realize there there might still be conflicts of schedule, but there would be no family feuds over when we're getting together at Christmas and Thanksgiving if everybody was a peacemaker. But when people put the stake in the ground, this is when we do it. And you just figure out how to get here. Well, now that's just a really nice peacemaker, isn't it? No? That's the way you destroy peace. Have you ever noticed that some families are really peaceful? And some families really don't know much peace? Now let's, let's just be, let's have some common sense for just a moment with wisdom. Now why do you think there's some people that their family has a lot of peace, and some people, their family has hardly any peace. Well, it's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? This family has several peacemakers in it. And this family here has several people that says, I'm demanding my rights, and I'm not giving in. Isn't it interesting that people that are part of this family, they like being a part of the family. And people that are part of this family, there's times during the year And situations and occurrences that come up where they think to themselves, my family drives me crazy sometimes. It might be that if people don't like you, it might be because you're not a peacemaker. Number five, are you unforgiving? Proverbs 20 and verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. We can't go through life without conflict. We cannot go through life without disagreement. Even if we're peacemakers, there's still going to be situations to work through. There's there's going to be things that we just see differently and then we can decide, are we going to seek to be a peacemaker in this or are we not? But the bottom line is, none of us are perfect. So when you make a mistake and maybe even somebody in your friendship makes a mistake also, and now you, you have that conflict going, what's the honorable thing to do? The honorable thing to do is say, you know, I was wrong. I'd like for you to forgive me, and, and I'd like for us to work through this conflict. But some people will never do that. And therefore, it's hard to keep long-term healthy friendships when you won't seek forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
let's just put a little reality test to this. I'm not asking, of course, for anybody to raise a hand here. But like if we said, how many of you in the last week have asked somebody to forgive you? I wonder how many hands will go up. I said, okay, how many of you in the last month have asked somebody to forgive you? How many hands will go up? How many of you in the last year have asked somebody to forgive you? Do you really think you've not done anything wrong in the last week? Like, you, you really think you're that perfect? Now, let's really stretch it. You don't think you've done anything wrong in the last month? You don't think you've done anything wrong in the last six months, last year? Okay, so we know you have. We all have. There's not a person here perfect. And so the real question is, why do I have such a big problem asking people to forgive me? Well, just know that if you're having difficulty in relationships... It's hard to have a healthy relationship with somebody that thinks they're never wrong. When everybody else, they're the only ones that think that. Everybody else knows they're wrong. But they won't seek forgiveness. They won't seek to mend it and to make it right. The honorable thing is to admit when we're wrong and to seek to make it right. I think about how many times in marriage counseling I've experienced individuals that would talk about I've been married. I think about one woman that said, I've been married 24 years. She said, to the best of my memory, my husband has only apologized or admitted that he was wrong three times. And all three times he said it and then immediately said, but, and would tell something I did to provoke it. Now, there's a reason why she's sitting in marriage counseling. Because she's in a very, very unhealthy relationship. And a part of their unhealthy relationship was that she was married to someone who simply didn't know Proverbs 20 and 3. That could have made a huge difference in their marriage. The sixth reason. Do you cut someone down? Proverbs 12 and 18 says, There's one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. See the bottom phrase, the upper phrase? Health. Some people use their tongue in a way that it really builds healthy relationships. But then he says, some people use their tongue in a way that it's like slicing flesh. You want to get that cold chill for just a moment? Just in your mind, imagine a cutting board. You're just slicing the, the vegetables up. Nice sharp knife. It's just a whiz. It's whiz and whoosh, right through your finger. Oh, that hurts to think about. That's what he's saying here. He says some people use their words and they cut relationships. Other people use their words and they heal and keep relationships healthy. You know, the old idea of I'm going to cut you down and then throw in a, hey, I was just kidding. Now, what good does that do? There's a little bit of truth in every statement like that. And most anybody that has any kind of wisdom knows that. So what good does it do to criticize someone and say you're kidding when still the knife is cut into the relationship? So when we think about the opportunity to use our tongue to do something good or, or to not, let's, let's choose to do good. Do you explode when you're mad? Proverbs 18 and 19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. 
How hard is it if you're the enemy trying to invade a city that is fortified? Think back in ancient times, a strong fortified wall. In some way, you're able to conquer and go through the fortified wall and you get to the palace to take over the king so you can really rule the city. And of all things, he has bars on the castle. You say, wow, it's really hard to take this city down. They have big thick walls. They have bars on the castle. And so here, what is he saying? You go around and you deal with people in contentious ways. He says, and then you try to think, oh, but, but I'm going to go back and make it right. He says, just know. You're circling back around to make it right will be as hard as trying to conquer a fortified city. In other words, this is the proverb writer way to say, it'd be a lot more wisdom in the fact of being very, very careful on the front end of how you handle relationships instead of greatly offending someone and then think, oh, I'll, I'll just make it right. It, it, it'll be real easy to, to heal the hurt between that individual. Oftentimes the hurt isn't nearly as easy as what we might think. Proverbs 29 and 11. Are you too blunt? A fool, who is it? A fool vents all his feelings. But a wise man holds them back. Now here's where all of us are just going to have to take a little bit of breather and we're going to have to decide that reality of who do we believe. God has given us His wisdom here. And our modern day culture is going to say, listen, you need to just let everybody know exactly where you stand. You don't need to hold anything back. You just need to always constantly put it out there. Anytime I hear the psycho Bible like that, I can't help but think of Proverbs 29 and 11. I want to tell you something. You and I have thoughts and feelings every day that should never be voiced out loud. And now, and this problem has existed for um, thousands of years. So social media doesn't um, invent this. It just gives another avenue by which to express it. You ever notice that some people feel like they've got to tell you when their waiter or waitress is bad at a restaurant and why they ticked them off? Really? Like, I, I needed to know that. You really feel like you should have voiced that. Well, who does that? I'm not saying my opinion and your opinion. I'm saying according to God, who is it that feels like they need to voice every feeling they have? Fools. Wise people don't voice every feeling they have. A great compliment is when somebody you know pretty well can honestly say, I don't know how they feel about everything. That's a compliment because you haven't voiced every thought that has ever gone through your mind. We have five more minutes, is that right? Eight more minutes. Okay, number nine, you drop the ball. Proverbs 10 and 26. Think uh, how painfully disgusting these two first examples are. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. You ever been around the campfire and the, the winds 
change and the smoke immediately goes into your eyes before you can close them and protect them. And, and there's that immediate stinging that for that first second, you know, it's that, oh, that hurts so bad. Or vinegar in your teeth. Oh, that, that it just, it almost like it strikes a nerve. It, it's just for a moment, it's like, I can't bear that. What else is unbearable? Well, when someone needs you, and so they lean on you. You know that, that friend that says, hey, I'm really in a bind. Can you pick up my, my child at school today? Sure, sure. Or maybe a, a family member. Uh, hey, I've got that event tonight. Can you please go by and get the cleaning before you come home? Sure, sure, I'll get that. And then you get home and you get ready to change and you look for the cleaning. And you say, hey, did you pick up that cleaning today? <laughs> you know, I forgot all about that. I, I'm sorry. And you think to yourself, you know, that happens most of the time. When you send a lazy man on a journey to do something, what you learn very quickly, it's like stinging of the eyes with smoke. It's like vinegar to the teeth. If you continually rely upon a lazy person, you're going to continually say to yourself, why do I do this? Why do I constantly ask them to help with things? Now, if you're an employee that fits this bill, you're going to be sitting around lunch one day tweeting out all of your feelings, and it's going to be like, my boss is so unfair, he fired me today. No, he, he's not unfair. He's doing what all your friends wish they could do. Like, it gets on your last nerve when you are depending on someone and they tell you, yes, yes, I'll take care of that. And then on a regular basis, they don't take care of it. Number 10, are you a selfish person? People will curse him who withholds grain, but the blessings will be on the head of him who sells it. Proverbs 11 and 26. This principle is true as much today as in the past. But to understand the proverb, you have to understand the culture of that day. Today, if you get a little bit hungry, you run down to one of our many grocery stores. You could even stop in a convenience store. You could even stop maybe by a farmer's market on the side of the road. Or if you wanted to, there's a, 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 just a, a plethora of restaurants that you could go to. Well, just for a moment, imagine none of that existed except that little farmer's market, if you will. And so if your family is going to have grain to go through the winter. Let's just say in this little village, there's only two or three farmers that raise the grain. Maybe it's your family that has the milk cows. And maybe it's another family that, that, that is, is raising the cotton or some kind of fiber for the clothing. So imagine your family goes down to the family that sells grain every year to help the, the community out. And, and you say to him, hey, I need to buy a hundred pound of grain. We're, we're getting ready for the winter. And he says, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to sell my grain right now. What do you mean? Like, we sell you milk all the time. You sell us grain all the time. You know we have to have your grain. <laughs> In his mind, he's thinking, you know what? If I let you go another few weeks, you're going to get so hungry, you're going to pay double for the grain. No, I'm not, I'm not going to sell you any grain right now. What would fuel that? A selfish attitude. You ever seen people that take advantage of someone when a calamity arises? You see people that they're constantly figuring on how they can take an advantage of someone while they're disadvantaged? That's what he's talking about here. 
And the idea that we would think that people would like us while we would do that would be a foolish thing. Do you make fun of people? He, Proverbs 17 and 5, He who mocks the poor reproaches his master. Notice the capitalized M. You're, you're reproaching God, our Creator. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. I'm going to give you just a few bullets here. Twelve, are you two-faced? Proverbs 10 and 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Number 13. This is really sensitive. Can you not keep a secret? Proverbs 11 and 13. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Similar to one we've already seen, isn't it? 14. Are you inflexible and controlling? Proverbs 14 and 4, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. You want productivity out in the field? You're going to have to have an ox in the barn. You put an ox in the barn, what's going to happen to the barn? It's going to get messy. You're going to have to clean out the stalls. So you say, I don't want to clean out the stalls. I don't want things to get messy. Okay, then you're going to do away with productivity. 21st Modern day example, not the only, but one example of that. I don't want them coming over to my house. Every time they come over to my house, they mess it up. Okay, that's it. That's it. It's a good way not to have any mess. Just take the ox out and don't have any productivity. And, uh, and you can look at that in everything. Like, I've, I've actually heard people, I've heard people, uh, I, I actually heard an eldership say, we try to keep as little going on during the week in, in our church building. We don't want people to come in. There's always stuff to clean up when they come in. I thought that's why we built the building, was to use it to be used. Like, you can either keep it clean all the time or you can use it. You can't do both. A similar thought. I saw an eldership one time, they had beautiful spiritual teaching material, and they stopped putting it out. And this question was asked, well, why did you stop putting that out? And they said, well, every time we put it out, people take it. Listen, if you want to keep cost to zero, you'll have zero productivity. If you want to keep messes to where they don't exist, you'll have zero productivity. I don't want to pick those kids up for church. They always mess my car up. Okay, you're you're right. Can't argue with that, can you? You like a clean car rather than kids coming to church. We got it. It, you know, it just, it comes down to that. All right. Uh, woo. Here we go. Right. Is this really this hard? I, I am. Can you hit me to 15? I don't think I can. Uh, well, 15? Okay, thank you. Are you an insensitive person? He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning. It'll be counting him to a curse. I want to close. I want to close with this one right here. And uh, because not only what it teaches, I want you to see the principle. My father, uh, in my opinion, is probably one of the best men that's ever walked the face of this earth. Uh, he's the most godly and patient man that I've ever been around. Uh, my father, to, to my knowledge, I've not heard him raise his voice at me. Uh, maybe, I could say maybe one time in my life, but even that, it wasn't anything close to a yell or a scream. Uh, very disciplined, very godly. Uh, my father uh, was, was a farmer and still lives on a farm. And so it's that blue collar, hard work mentality. And, um, and so, you know, if you're not up by about 4.30 in the morning, it's what's wrong with you, son. And, um, 
And so, uh, you know, I'd go to school all week and then we'd come in and, and I would farm. Actually, I'm not asking for pity. I'm really, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. But I would come in, we'd farm every evening and then Saturday morning, we'd farm all day. And, uh, and so the thing about dad was, was he loved, he loved, he loves mornings. Like he puts his feet on the ground smiling. And, and so, you know, it's 4.30 in the morning and he's up in the kitchen and he's making noise and he's walking through the house making noise. And so, you know, this, all of us in the family just knew is that way. It's just like, oh, this drives me crazy because every morning the house was so noisy. And, uh, and, and the odd thing is he's not that loud a person, but he was loud in the mornings. And so um, one night, a rare occasion, I really don't remember happening twice in my life uh, because he always went to bed so early. But one night I was in my teenage years and dad and mom were out somewhere. And I was home, and I was going to bed, and I was the only one at home. And so I was laying in bed reading my Bible, and so I was reading some out of Proverbs, and, and I was reading out of Proverbs 27, 14. Now, another thing you need to know is that my father reads Proverbs every day, and when he speaks to you, he can't speak to you without a proverb just sliding in there. Like, my, one of my buddies one time, dad was up making an announcement at church, and, and while he's making the announcement, he just said something about a proverb, and my buddy leaned over and he said, if we had a problem with people not flushing the toilets around here, your dad would have a proverb for it. And that's true. He would. And so, so, uh, so I'm, reading, I'm reading in dad's book. You know what I mean? I'm reading in the book I've heard quoted from every day of my life almost. And, and, uh, and I'm reading this. And, you know, I, I read it like the second time and the third time and the fourth time. I'm like, he who blesses his friend with a loud voice. Dad would come in every morning. Son, how you doing this morning? Let's talk about what we're going to do on the farm. I'd be like, Dad, please, let's, let's talk about that in a few minutes. Is that okay? Son, you went to the ball game last night. How did that turn out? Oh, Dad, can we talk about that over breakfast? And, and I, I read this with a loud voice early in the morning. And I thought, I'm reading this in Dad's favorite book. This is amazing. Well, you know, you, you got to think back to the days before cell phones and texting and all that. You know, before those times, for you, you're saying every house had a place where you left a message. And anybody that had been gone, that was when you came in and you checked that place. You know, any notes for anybody, call back anybody, somebody stopped by, want you to know this. And so in that day and time, every household had a place you checked notes when you came in. So I got up out of bed and I went to the note leaving place. And I said, Dad... Before you go to bed tonight, you have to read Proverbs 27 and 14. And then I put again, you have to read this before you go to bed tonight. I went to bed. I'm not making this up. The next morning was silence. The next morning was silence. The next morning was silence. The whole family feels like I'm a hero. This, this, is, this has been going on for about 30-something years now that now in the mornings, dad is quiet. And you know why? My dad has devoted his life to being wise. And every time, even to this day, in his late 70s, he reads Proverbs every day and he seeks to change his life to conform with the wisdom he's read that day. And so I'm sure we've probably read something today that you would probably say, I, I need to work on that one. And I hope that all of us will, and we'll seek to be wise. Let's bow. Our most gracious God, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing it with us. And God, we fervently pray for ourselves. We know that in many ways we're foolish, and we ask for forgiveness. And we pray, God, that we can be more like you each day. You've blessed us in so many ways. 
And we thank you for the church family that you surround us with. We thank you for your goodness. And we pray that we can be a part of that goodness in relationships. Thank you for the book of Proverbs. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen.